The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week... On the Chicago Bears review, the last hurdle to clear before the end of the offseason calls for us to do a deep dive on none other than the team we know better and love more than any other in our beloved 2018 Chicago Bears. Did the Bears make all the right moves and are they ready to take the next step? Lauren Cox from Pro Football Focus joins us on the final NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears review. Here we are, the 14th and final opponent preview episode, and the opponent is nobody but themselves, the Chicago Bears, wrapping this thing up as we head into the offseason and the preseason training camp, and then finally the regular season. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the 14th and final uh, preview episode of the Chicago Bears review, and it's uh, we're, we're going to go on a little break after this. I'm, I'm, I'm moving tomorrow, which is very exciting, and... Uh, I am not looking forward to it at all as far as the entire physical process of it. Uh, that's not going to be fun. It's supposed to be 95 and maybe raining outside. So perfect weather conditions for a move. It's, uh, it'll be a blast. Uh, so looking forward to it. Uh, if you can hear that in the background, that's my dad playing Grand Theft Auto uh, in the living room to entertain himself while I'm over here recording the last bits of, uh, of this show. So... Um, as I've said this before, I'm sure you guys have heard me say this a few times over the last few weeks, not a whole lot of news going on out there. The only real concern that I have going into training camp is that the, as of today, the 12th of July, one week before the Bears report to training camp in Bourbonnet, Roquan Smith-Hill has not signed his rookie contract yet. As I've mentioned before, it's probably more to do with the language of the contract than it does with the money value itself i mean because with the rookie wage scale those picks or those the, the money is basically set in stone for the most part you get a a slight raise from what the last number eight pick made last year that kind of thing but for the most part it's uh you know first round pick is pretty much all guaranteed uh in his rookie contract and there's probably some mess about offset language about who who how much the bears have to pay roquan smith god forbid if they end up cutting him you know, his salary is guaranteed, so they got to pay him no matter what. And if he signs on with a new team, you know, how does that all work? How much are the Bears on the hook for and so on and so forth? So I'm sure it has something to do with that, just the agent crap, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, Roquan Smith just wants to get out there and play football, but he can't until he signs the paper. So still got a week to get it all hashed out and get it all taken care of and, uh, you know, See if the Bears can live up to the uh, to the hype, to the expectation, to the hope that we as uh, the Bear fan fan base have uh, for this year's team. You know, can they be the 2018 LA Rams? You know, can they can they recreate the magic that the Rams had 
uh, a year ago under very similar circumstances. The 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 veteran defensive coordinator with the rookie head coach, the second year quarterback, a plethora of new offensive weapons. I mean, it's a it's a mirror images basically uh, from what the Bears uh, did this year to what the Rams did uh, a year ago. Can we navigate those muddy waters that is the NFL schedule in order to put enough wins together to make a surprise playoff run or, you know, or get close to it uh, this year? You know, I just want a more exciting brand of football, to be honest with you, because uh, last year's was hard to watch. You know, watching, you know, Jordan Howard right, Jordan Howard left, swing pass to Tariq Cohen, punt. You know, that's not a lot of, that's not fun uh, to watch, you know, to just watch Jordan Howard run into a brick wall of humanity every single down uh, of the game and then you know maybe we get lucky on a pass play sorta in in so on and so forth and the defense has to bail us out over and over again so uh you know i think that we'll we'll be looking at a lot more exciting football and i think it's like only what three weeks from tonight Uh, this is today's thursday the 12th three weeks from tonight i believe the bears and the ravens kick it off with the with the hall of fame game so it's going to happen fast so i'm looking forward to it i can't wait to uh to get down with it uh, you know, and, and just get all into the preseason and start doing some review shows and, and get ready for the regular season. And, and, and for me personally, to get some of that fall weather in here to get rid of this damn heat and humidity. And uh, I just I just I can't stand it. I can't do it. You know, I just my dad and I went and, and, and bought a, a, a nice little chair for my for my new place. And uh, we're, we're getting it uh, lugged out of the store and into my into my van and all i was doing was was i have a minivan just dropping the seats in the back seat you could wring out my shirt when i was done because not only was it warm outside it was in the low 90s today but the humidity like you could just see the the, the moisture in the air sticking to my arms it, it, it's it's uh, i can't stand it i hate it so i can't wait for this weather uh to be over with and the beginning of football season usually triggers that nicer weather coming along with it so uh anyway that's really all I got for it. Uh, our good friend Lauren Cox is back to help us out uh, to talk about these uh, 2018 Chicago Bears. You know, where are his expectation levels? Where is his excitement level? Is he buying in it too? Is he drinking the Kool-Aid thinking that the Bears might be able to put something special together? Or is that that NFC North division as tough as most people think it is, including myself? Is that going to be what keeps the, the difference between the Bears being you know, 11 and five or seven and nine, you know, this year, you know, will it be having six games against three of the tougher teams in our conference, uh, you know, this year, will that be what, what holds us back and, and, you know, going three to three in in that stretch instead of doing, doing better and and so on and so forth. So it's, it's going to be interesting to find out what happens. We had a great conversation with Lauren from, uh, from pro football focus from bearswire.com and the locked on bears podcast, myself and Lauren Cox, previewing the 2018 Chicago Bears. And here we are, the finale. We close the book on the offseason with our 14th and final opponent preview. And in, in this case, the opponent would be the rest of the league is our beloved Chicago Bears. We're talking about them previewing them talking about 2017 the draft free agency and looking ahead and who else will we bring in to help us along with this but lauren cox from uh got an impressive resume bro pro football focus bears wire the locked on uh, bears podcast we're happy to have you back man how's it going hey it's a pleasure to be back i look forward to these every year and uh, it's just always good to talk bears in this this time of the off season where you know 
not much is happening. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes, as you refer to it on the Locked On Bears podcast, the desert of the uh, off season, as it's it is pretty barren out, out there. You and I are talking just before. Uh, we got started here about uh, like you know just what I'm doing as far as scrambling to to have things in the news and notes section before we play the interview on the show. It's like yep, I got I got nothing. It was uh, 80 degrees outside and sunny. On to the interview now. So uh, you know it's been a, it's been a tough time and 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 I'm not having to deal with the issue for like you like you said Bears Wire. They want you to post four stories a day. You got to be making it up by now, right? It's it takes some creativity to find relevant Chicago Bears content. I'll put it. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming. And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. That way, but, you know, we, we make it work. Sure, sure. So, you know, the bulk of this conversation, Lauren, is going to be, obviously, in the off season, you know, uh, that's where all the fireworks have been. That's where all the excitement that we as Bear fans foolishly or unfoolishly, uh, uh, you know, have uh, built our hopes on, on, on 2018. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the, the dumpster fire that was the 2017 uh, season. I mean, we can go all the way back to the to the draft and everything, uh, or the uh, actually the free agency acquisitions from last year. None of which, except for maybe Prince of Mukamura, and an argument could be made for Kendall Wright. But everything else that Ryan Pace did last year was an unmitigated disaster, headlined by the sixteen million dollar a year quarterback in Mike Lennon. Yeah, that seemed like a plan that you know you know maybe initially. Bears fans were able to sell themselves a little bit on the, you know, the the potential, the, the the expectation that Mike Glennon could become something that he hadn't quite shown before, and maybe he hadn't had an opportunity, and so maybe there was some buying in initially. But I think when you really step back and look at it, it wasn't a, a very solid plan, at least with that choice for a veteran quarterback. And then it just seemed like the the rug was pulled out from under him before he had taken a snap when the Bears surprisingly, I mean shockingly to everyone and depending on who you believe even to John Fox, it was a huge surprise they take Trubisky number two overall uh, at quarterback a move that I was heavily against all the way up until the moment that I had to give in and just say well just go ahead and play the kid because Glennon's a dumpster fire but you know heavily against because 
of the deficiencies that we had on offense. No wide receivers, no one for him to throw the football to, only relying on the on the running game, which meant we would the defenses would dare us to throw the football. And uh, not only did that, and did, did I end up being right about that for that reason? Obviously, Trubisky was the right move. Why we drafted him, I was right about that. I will take that to my grave. But the offense was exactly what I thought it was going to be, and it was something that plagued the Bears all year long. Yeah, you remember how it was going to be Mike Glennon's year, and that yeah. was kind of the big thing all offseason. I mean, as, as very forced as that felt, like I know, I'm sure if you, as you went through your team previews with the Bears' opponents, you've got a few other teams around the league that are trying to do at least something similar, maybe less directly calling it veteran quarterback's year with a rookie behind them, but, you know, like the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets and even like the Arizona Cardinals and Baltimore Ravens, although the Bears don't play the Ravens this year. But, you know, there's there's teams looking to do similar things and I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out for them and if how how much of it is just setting up a veteran quarterback to fail and how much of it is just Mike Glennon being awful. Yeah, I mean the the thing that was that was so maddening about the 2017 season was that we were so close on 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 a few games, you know, week 1 against the uh Falcons, uh week uh where was it? Week 5 against the Vikings, Trubisky's uh, debut. We were a lot closer on that one, and, and and you know there were a few other games we should have probably won that first game against Detroit. Don't even get me started about that second game against Green Bay. Um, you know there were a lot of places. You know the San Francisco game where Robbie Gold beat us all by himself, kind of thing. A lot of opportunities where the Bears could have been much better than five and eleven, but because we weren't the best team on the field, the Bears lost pretty much like they should have. It's just that it was. You know, some of those losses were kind of, you know, kicks in the gut, having them, you know, f- fall short. And, and in other cases, they just looked horrible, like they had no business sharing the field with the team they were playing. And that was seemed to kind of be the, the status quo for the John Fox Bears. Like, mm-hmm. even the, all three years, it felt like there were a lot of games that, you know, final score is within seven points and, you know, a play goes different here or there. I mean, even even when they went three and 13, you know, how many of those by three or fewer? A, a good five plus during that year. I mean, even you know, the first year, and some of that you can blame on Jay Cutler or whatever in the quarterback, but interesting how the quarterback changes and I guess the offensive coordinator changes, and with under John Fox, it, it kept being the same kind of thing, these these close games, these close losses that just kept the team from achieving at the level. I mean, they were just underachieving all three years. Now, looking back at the John Fox era, I mean, what kind of reflection do you think most Bears fans are going to have about that are because I think that John Fox is kind of going to be like the Jay Cutler of coaches for the Bears whereas like we never really put a, a solid team around Jay Cutler at least not on the offensive side until he was well into his his bear career um, much like the John Fox era where we, we seem to be able to put pieces around him but we just had this horrible stretch where we led the league in injured reserve uh, for for all three seasons that he was here. I mean, do you think that it'll be a lot of what if surrounding the John Fox era, or will most people as Bear fans just kind of blow it off as that was just three crappy years and I'm glad we moved on? Yeah, I'm guessing it'll just kind of get blown off that, you know, Fox didn't. It, it felt like, I don't know, there, were, there was some excitement initially with John Fox, but I don't know if it was necessarily this potential franchise saving head coach. I mean, we knew he was a a Super Bowl winner in the past, but it had always been an old school kind of conservative coach anyway. So it wasn't as though it was like the super amount of excitement and everyone's like, oh man, what if 
John Fox had gotten the Bears. I mean, I, I felt like there was more excitement when Mark Trestman was hired and certainly now when Matt Nagy was hired. So I, I think John Fox will kind of be remembered as just a, a transitional, maybe a, a franchise-stabling type head coach that even though he never won more than five games in a year, or, what, or did they win six his first year? They won six. I don't remember. Yeah, first year, yeah six, six and, ten, and ten. But even though he never did better than six and ten, it's still kind of cleaned up a little bit of the embarrassment of the the locker room with Mark Tressman and, and kind of mm. got things just a little bit more stable in that sense, even though it didn't necessarily improve on the field. And he was kind of the, I don't want to say the scapegoat, but he, he was a necessary um, transition while they acquired their quarterback of the future and, and kind of just had to linger through that until to get the team ready for, to get, get the team ready to take that next step. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, the Tressman will always be viewed as more of a mistake than John Fox because Bruce Arians was a choice for the Bears that we didn't make. And obviously that worked out a hell of a lot better in Arizona than Tressman did in Chicago. When, when, when Tressman was fired, I mean, I can't even remember who else we were considering at coach because as soon as Fox became available, that all of a sudden he became the guy and that's who we wanted. And then we went out and we got him. And that's why there was optimism and, and hope when John Fox was brought in. Yeah. The one name that I always come back to with that John Fox hiring was Jim Harbaugh, just because that was right, right when he had ended with the 49ers. But other than that, I, I don't have any strong memories of there being another assistant coach or a hot coach that everyone was like, oh, you know, well, they should go get this guy. They'd, after the whole uh, Bruce Arians and Mark Tressman thing, I think people were more willing to just accept a, a conservative, experienced head coach right. just to try and do essentially kind of what he did is just get the get the franchise a little bit more stable and, and back on at least turn the arrow up from going so far down. Right. Yeah, I mean, because it went sideways fast with – with Tressman, it was like 2013. That was your honeymoon period because our offense was amazing uh, that year. Our defense went off a cliff, and we got old overnight uh, in 2013. And that's why we were eight and eight team instead of probably would have been maybe like that offense with Lovey's defense in 2012 could contend for a Super Bowl. I mean, that's how good uh, both of those units were individually. The defense in 2012 and the offense in 2013. That's a championship team right there. And then 2014, we're expecting more of the same. The offense kind of plateaued, and the defense was still horrible. And that's where you're 5-11. and 11. And then the inmates started running the asylum there in the locker room and uh, you know, just going crazy and, and everything. And, and Tressman completely lost control. You got coaches making, you know, uh, statements about Jay Cutler, the quarterback, to the media. And, I mean, it was just – it was a circus in 2014. Tressman had to go. So bringing in John Fox, a more conservative, you know, keep it keep it in-house, keep the – you know, run a tight ship type thing was, was what the Bears needed at the time. And in a way, you're right. We did accomplish that, but we accomplished very little else in those three years. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, a little bit of a transitioning thing now because now they're, they're in a position where they can take a chance on – an inexperienced, innovative, young, offensive-minded head coach who can kind of come in here and, you know, maybe that description also describes Mark Trestman, although he's not as young, clearly, but right. who can kind of come in here with maybe a little bit more of a stable background and, and a little bit more of a, a proof of concept coming from that Andy Reid system and can find the coach that's going to take this team to the next level. So we go to the offseason then. John Fox is is unceremoniously let go. Dole Loggins, thank holy Christ, follows right along with him. 
Uh, I mean, did those guys make you as nuts as they made me with the things that they would say uh, in, in, in to the press? Like that whole that whole thing, it just made me bananas. I talked about it all year long was the whole uh, how the defense dictates the offensive personnel, which is obviously watching any football game ever at any level. You see offensive personnel come on in the field, then you see the defense to respond to said personnel but john fox and Dole loggins wanted us to believe that they were waiting to see who was coming out on defense before they sent their offensive personnel on the field that's why Tariq cohen isn't playing as much that's why we're we're running these you know these sets in these particular plays yeah and you kind of get the antiquated feeling of like the rookies that you know rookies aren't allowed to play a lot you know that mitch trubisky doesn't get to practice with the starters until he takes over the starter and and Adam Shaheen is a blocker until Zach Miller goes down, and then they kind of have to use him as a pass, you know, pass catcher. And Tariq Cohen still has to earn his opportunities, despite being the most dynamic weapon on the offense. Just, just kind of across the board, that that feeling that well, rookies. I mean, obviously, rookies still have to earn playing time, but that I felt like rookies didn't even have the opportunity to do so. Sure, I know, and I get that one hundred percent. When you talk about Tariq Cohen, there were so many times where the press would ask John Fox why Benny Cunningham was on the field during a two-minute drill instead of a Tariq Cohen. And his answer always was because, you know, Benny Cunningham is is experienced. He's been there before. He knows what to do. You know, it's like I'm pretty sure if you threw Tariq Cohen the football in a two-minute drill, he'd know what to do with it. I mean, what are we talking about here? You know, he's obviously the best athlete we have on the field. You want him in there because he is the better pass catcher between he and Jordan Howard. Why isn't he on the field during the two-minute drill? And But you're giving Benny Cunningham the nod because he's done a few more two-minute drills than Tariq Cohen has? I mean, it was that was the kind of thing where the, he was trying to make you feel like he was the smartest guy in the room when he was doing that one, and basically all he was doing was insulting your intelligence. Yeah, and I like Benny Cunningham, and I thought he had a pretty good season yeah. given that role. But, yeah, no, it was like yeah, Tariq Cohen – well, he he hasn't he's never done the two minute drill. He hasn't had the opportunity. He hasn't he hasn't practiced in that role. I think was one of the things that Fox said. Well, well how do you fix that? Yeah. What do you what do you do? You give him the opportunity to do so. I mean, it just clearly they didn't want or they didn't whether it was they didn't want to or didn't feel he was ready or whatever. There was a lot of uh, poor evaluation, self evaluation of the team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was the part that. That made me crazy the whole and, time. I mean, like Deontay Thompson gets released and goes to the Bills and has like 500 yards in the second yeah. half of the season. You know, like yeah, uh. yeah. It, <laughs> we could do the whole show just talking about this, man. All right, let's go to the off season then. Like I said, Fox and Dole Loggins, they're out the door. You and I both were on record uh, at the uh, the season finale last year. Pat Shermer was our guy. He uh, took the polished turd that was uh, Sam Bradford and made him into a good quarterback in Minnesota, did miracle work with Case Keenum, made him a very rich man in Denver. Uh, He instead gets hired by the New York Giants, and we go ahead with Matt Nagy, who on a list of about five or six guys was probably number five or six uh, on my list. I mean, I didn't even know who the hell the guy was, which is why he was at the bottom uh, of my list. But instead, he's choice number one for Ryan Pace and was the first head coach hired in the offseason. Yeah, it was a decision that I think caught a lot of people off guard, and, and maybe he kind of came up towards the end of the process as a as a guy that was catching people's eyes because he had had success, but I was right there with you, not a big fan of that hire, just given his total lack of experience, that the guy became a play caller for the last, like, six games of his last season, and he's he, now he's the head coach and the play caller, and in charge of all these things that 
you it takes a long time i feel like in the nfl to really truly understand you know all of the different aspects that a head coach has to work through and you know the different areas of team management and this is a guy that had only spent a couple years even managing an offense and only a couple years before that even coaching quarterbacks and you know he played quarterback but how well would that apply to the rest of the team i as much positivity as we've heard about mad nagy I, we, the jury's still out. They, yeah. No games have been won yet. As great as everything sounds, uh, you know things sounded pretty great early on with Mark Tressman. And I, I hate to directly compare the two of them. It's just maybe we'll step back a little bit and uh, not get too carried away here. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm very much with you on, on that. I I for the very for for the you know, and I could probably pull out you know tape of me saying that. Arians was my guy. He was the one that I wanted, but I was very much in support of the Arians hiring, or excuse me, of the Tressman hiring after his initial press conference. He mean he would basically just poured honey straight into my ear, you know, from the things that he was saying, even going out and directly challenging Jay Cutler to work on his footwork and you know things like that, so that he could be a more accurate passer and so on and so forth. Tressman said all the right things. Emery showed the right amount of enthusiasm about hiring this guy, so I was on board with Tressman. Year one, he's a genius offensively because we have an offense, if not for the Broncos in 2013, who were the best offense in the history of football in 2013, the Bears had the best offense in football that year. That is maddening to think about that the Bears were that team, but that's what we did with Tressman. And here we are with with Nagy, very in a very similar situation. Lovey Smith got fired because he couldn't put an offense on the field that could match his defense. John Fox got fired because he couldn't do anything, to be honest with you, as far I mean, he, he and Vic Fangio put together a good defense, and we rebuilt the defense in the last few years. That's another positive thing that we can talk about, but offensively, we were a disaster, so here we bring in this Matt Nagy guy, we bring in some weapons that we did not have a year ago, we spent money we didn't spend a year ago, and you know, there's a lot of potential for good things to happen here, but the guy doesn't have the pedigree that, that says you, you can take it to the bank. And It'll be interesting to see kind of how their reaction is to success that they may have this year. Because, like, even if the Bears go, you know, and we'll talk at the end, I think, more about how we feel the season will go. But say they say they go 9-7 and seven this year. You know, you're going to have people saying, see, Matt Nagy is the real deal. The Bears are looking how much better they are. And I guess I, I think back to that first Mark Tressman year that, you know, because Jay Cutler got hurt and Josh McCown had to start, like, five or six games that year. And, you know, they were kind of switching between the two. They, they went 8-8, eight and eight, which was... Uh, a pretty it felt like a pretty decent year given the the change and the turnover and it was like okay well now look at what this team's going to do let next year and we we didn't have at least I didn't have this feeling like things were starting to crumble or or fall apart on the you know internally like it all came out that next season so even even after year one of Matt Nagy and even after year one of John Fox I think people were starting to feel better like okay the Bears are back on track they went five and eleven maybe underachieved a little bit but next year Jay Cutler will be back and they'll have another draft pick and all this stuff that you know year two is going to be that difference. And we've seen year two for Chicago Bears head coaches in recent years really be a difficulty. And I'm, I'm curious to see, even after one year of Matt Nagy, how things go entering year two. Yeah, I mean, that uh, the conversation that we're going to have a year from now will probably be very similar to the one we're having now. Be like, yeah, first year, year one was great. We made progress, but, eh, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm sure that that's something that we'll, uh, we'll be talking about. But he makes some very, very important hires 
Uh, we bring back Harry Highstand uh, as our offensive line coach. A lot of people view that as the, being one of the best assistant coach hires uh, across the board as far as the league uh, is concerned. He retains Vic Fangio, who in turn retains basically his entire defensive staff uh, along with him. So no turnover on the defensive side. Uh, the defense is set, and uh, as far as you know, who's going to be coaching it, and so no, no transition or anything like that there. And then he brings in Mark Helfrich, the former head coach of of Oregon, the guy that made Marcus Mariota a uh, you know a number one overall pick uh, or number two, thanks to Jameis Winston. But you know, a top pick and, and, and everything in in Oregon, a Heisman candidate. He did win the Heisman, didn't he? Mariota, he yeah, won he, the did. he did win the Heisman. So, but you know, yeah, he won one of them, right? And so, but there he is. I mean, the, the, we, we're bringing in a lot of him. You know, that was the other thing that kind of keeps adding to it. It just seems like the Bears keep making moves where people are like, "What, really?" I, I mean, except from Magnaggy himself, of course. But bringing in Helfrich, that's interesting. Bringing in Highstand, that's a great thing. He's one of the better head coaches out there, uh, or excuse me, uh, offensive line coaches out there. So it's like these moves only added, and then you know, bringing in Vic Fangio as well it's like okay we're making all the right moves he's surrounding himself with people who have the experience that he doesn't have well and even there i i raised some question marks just when you're building an offensive staff with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds there's obviously benefit to that and and being able to get different perspectives and different ideas in but it bothers me a little bit when you have so much of your coaching staff still trying to learn the offense that they're teaching, that your quarterback's coach is the holdover from last year. And how, I mean, obviously you can help Mitch Trubisky from a mechanical standpoint, and it seems like they have a good relationship as Dave Ragone, but how well can he help Trubisky begin an advanced knowledge of the system when the coach himself is still learning the system? And Mark Helfrich is still learning Matt Nagy's system. And, you know, I think Brad Childress was kind of brought in solely to do that, but my concern is, are they truly maximizing their time with the coaches because the coaches don't know the system yet? So we talk about the, you know, our acquisitions. We finally get to uh, free agency. The Bears got some money to spend. Um, you know, we, we let go of Mike Glennon and Bear fans rejoice. Um, we bring in, uh, you know, right off the top, you know, what was the one of the things that plagued the Bears last year was offensive targets. We did not have anyone to throw the football to. Um, you know, I mean, we had some, some, you know, mid-level guys when you know, Trey McBride, uh, Dontrell Inman, when he was given an opportunity, he was pretty good last year. Kendall Wright was probably one of the only, aside from Prince of Mukamura, the only successful free agent signing that we had, uh, a year ago, but even leading the team in catches, he only had 59, uh, last year, but right off the top day one of free agency, Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, Taylor Gabriel, boom, boom, boom our target problem has essentially been solved. Yeah, and even there again, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pessimistic at all about the – I'm a big fan of a lot of the moves the Bears made this offseason, but, you know, Allen Robinson coming off of the ACL, his last healthy season was a, a down one with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been that 1,400-yard receiver before with Blake Bortles as his quarterback, so, I mean, I'm, I'm much more encouraged about that signing. And, and then Taylor Gabriel – a guy that's never had with Gabriel and Burton, two guys that have never had the true opportunity to be successful. And, and you're projecting based on the efficiencies that they've shown and their ability to produce in more limited opportunities with their respective teams that they can step into Chicago and play up to a bigger role. 
and not that I, I, I believe they will both do that successfully. I think they're, they both have the skill set to do so, but it's another one of those not so sure things that we, we're not a hundred percent certain that Taylor Gabriel can take on the role of a number two wide receiver. We're not a hundred percent certain that Trey Burton can be, you know, the, the Travis Kelsey role in this offense, even if that's maybe too high of an expectation as a comparison, but you know, they haven't. The Bears have a lot of players here that haven't necessarily proven it yet. But that doesn't mean I'm not confident that they can do it. I just think it's it's important to kind of take a step back and let it not count these eggs before they hatch. Right. So I mean, it's it, that that is the reality of it. You know, Robinson's coming off of of an ACL, and and the one benefit of the injury is when it happened. It happened week one, so he's had basically a full year almost already uh, to recover uh, from it. Trey Burton, you know, like like you said, good in spots, you know, uh, through that touchdown pass to Nick Foles that everyone can't stop talking about in the Super Bowl uh, for the Eagles. Taylor Gabriel, aside from being able to burn it up on the 40-yard dash, uh, you know, had a good first year in Atlanta, but really didn't hear much from him uh, last year. Uh, but, the, you know, these are all guys who have been successful and had success in other places and are hoping to find it all together here in Chicago, but at the very least, at the very least, to look at it as a glass half full thing, these guys, all three, are definite upgrades from what we had a year ago. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I know we we haven't gotten to the draft specifically yet, but throw Anthony Miller in there. I mean, yeah. much 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 improved. You have, you know, Allen Robinson should be a thousand yard receiver, and between Gabriel and Miller, you'll have at least a thousand yards with those two combined. And if Trey Burton can push six, seven, eight hundred yards, you know, and Tariq Cohen, another five, six hundred. You can start to piece up three thousand plus yards for Mitchell Trubisky this season in the passing game. Right, and then um, you know, also we go out and we get a guy like 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 Benny Fowler, who's going to be looked more probably as a special teams guy. Uh, Cody Parkey. We bring in a place kicker. I was actually kind of uh, in favor of re-signing Mike Nugent because he was very good for us. Uh, you know, he actually knew that the ball goes between the uprights instead of outside of them, uh, which is a problem for Connor Barth. Uh, we signed him uh, to a to a big deal. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Chase Daniel, as we learned from the Eagles, um, you know the backup quarterback is uh, almost as important as the starter. So we bring in a competent, um, you know, backup. And and uh, you know, granted, this is a guy that everyone's going to talk about how many passes he's actually thrown in the league. But somebody who can help Trubisky learn the offense because he's been running it with. Uh, or had or did at one point run the offense with uh, with uh, our coach's name, who's Nagy, Matt Nagy, uh, <laughs> and, you know, running his offense in Kansas City when he was there, and uh, you know, but somebody who's also been learning at the altar of of Drew Brees uh, as well. So he has a lot to be able to pass along, and when he has played, he you know he has done pretty well for his for the teams he's played for. Yeah, and it's it's such a you know if Mitchell Trubisky gets hurt and Chase Daniel has to play, I mean threw everything out the window. I, I think people got kind of worked up because of the dollar amount maybe and, you know, because of the few number of passes. But, I mean, you're you're screwed. I mean, this season is almost a waste if Chase Daniel ever has to see the field. So whether it's him or, you know, Mike Glennon, for God's sake, you know, it, <laughs> at the end of the day, they signed this guy to be the coach on the field that knows the offense, that can help Mitch. And, you know, he's better than Tyler Bray. You can win a game maybe with Chase Daniel if – Trubisky, you know, gets a concussion and only misses one game or whatever. Chase can win you a game, but obviously, if it's anything more severe, you're you're kind of thrown in the towel anyway. Right. So um, then we look at the defensive side of the ball. 
we re-signed Prince of Mukamura, a move I was not uh, against. Not a fan of the way the whole thing was handled with Kyle Fuller. Uh, and and you was, skipped uh, Cameron Meredith in that situation, too, on offense. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that was... You, you know, you talked about that on, on your show. I kind of talked about it briefly on on mine. You know, both... I mean, I guess both of those situations, both the Kyle Fuller and the Car- the Cameron Meredith situation, I wasn't a fan of how either one of those uh, was handled. I thought that we should have just gone ahead and franchised Fuller to see if he could answer the bell for a second year. Because, of course, a guy is going to play better his contract year, which is what it was because the Bears didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He plays out of his mind uh, for most of the 16 games. He did have some deficits uh, from time to time, but for the most part, he had an outstanding year and, you know, deserved to get paid, at, at you know, in one form or another. But I also, you know, for a guy who showed flashes as a rookie and then basically fell off the map for two years and then all of a sudden during a contract year, he plays well. I didn't trust him. I wanted to do the franchise thing, make him do it one more time, and if he does it again, then go ahead and sign him to the long uh, contract. Instead, we transition tag him and leave it up to the Packers to give him a deal that we have to match. Yeah, and the Packers did a pretty good job with that deal that they gave him. You know, I think they pretty well expected Kyle Fuller to get his deal matched by the Bears. I think you know the Bears were letting Fuller test the market because they probably had different ideas of how much money he was worth and that if he could find a deal with a team at money that he liked then okay the bears would agree that he's worth that much because the market said so but the packers signed him to that deal and they backload or i guess they they backload the guaranteed money but they kind of front load the the like the actual or they they backload the cap hit and front load the guaranteed so it's very difficult to get out of this deal particularly early that you know he's locked in for two years for sure, and the third year isn't going to save the Bears a ton of money if they want to cut him in 2020. They they're they're almost sitting there with for sure having to pay him three years. Whereas Ryan Pace is kind of a guy that's been able to, you know, work out these deals that allow him that you know you give him the guaranteed money up front. So then after a year or two, you can cut him and, and kind of have team options for the last couple of years. But that Packers deal really kind of locked Kyle Fuller in for pretty big bucks for the first three years, and then. From there, you can kind of make a decision, but not a big fan of the way that played out either. Right. So, I mean, they, they, they played the wrong hand with Fuller as far as I'm concerned. And then they did it again with, with Cameron Meredith where, you know, as a rookie, uh, as an undrafted free agent, he was a restricted free agent coming into this offseason. And the Bears had some choices to make as far as, like, what the tender would actually be. With him being undrafted, they went with the original round tender which was like 1.1 million dollars or something like that for an extra million dollars they could assign him to a second round tender which would only been like 2.9 uh or something like that the saints end up signing him to a two-year deal for twice that 5.5 million per season like two years 11 million uh whatever it was with the bears chose not to match and they went with the medical being the reason i guess they weren't as confident with his rehab as the saints were so the saints go ahead and they keep him the bears get nothing uh for losing uh cameron meredith and now cameron meredith has already returned to practice for the saints ahead of Allen robinson returning to practice for the bears and you know like when they signed him to that original round tender it didn't bother me that much because i just operated under the assumption that if you're doing that then you're basically saying we'll match any deal he gets because we don't think teams are really going to want to invest top dollar in this kind of unproven receiver coming off of a torn ACL that, you know, 
they might as well just give him the low tender because they they'd be willing to match a deal that might sign him for longer term for cheaper. But then when they don't opt to match uh, what seemed like a pretty reasonable contract deal, yeah. then that's what called into question the original decision for me that if you if you were that concerned about his ACL, then what's the one million dollars more to put that second round tender on? Yeah, because then if somebody signs him on that second round tender, the Bears get the second round pick. That's what that was 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 all about. And so that's what like somebody's making a very bold statement saying that this guy is worth our second round pick this year. Here you go, or match match the deal, or here's a second round pick. Instead, the Bears do nothing. They they lose him and get nothing in return, which is you know what was the the biggest problem was that we came away with nothing from both of these deals. Yeah, and I. You have to wonder, like, where where the thought process was that it, it happened twice. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was kind of at the same time, and I, it it was. It seemed like every offseason, maybe we have one of those head scratchers, one or two of those head scratchers from Ryan Pace that don't cripple your franchise or or ruin your season necessarily, but you're just kind of like, well, what's what's the thought process there? Yeah, I mean, and then on the defensive side again. You know, we we go ahead and we we sign our two corners and basically solidifying that we're going to have the same secondary for the second year in a row, which we haven't been able to say for a while with Fuller and Amukamura on the corners, and then you have Amos and and Jackson, probably one of the best young safety tandems in the league right now. And you and I both share, uh, you know, that that kind of um, hesitancy, if you will. Uh, about Eddie Jackson. Is he going to be Eddie Jackson or is he going to be the next Al Alfalava where he has that one outstanding rookie season and then he's never to be heard from again? Yeah, I, I'm hopeful for Eddie Jackson just because I am of too. A, yeah. a lot of the things that he flashed. Like, I'm almost more concerned just about a durability thing. Like, he played the most snaps of any Bears player last year by a, a pretty significant margin, if I remember correctly, just because everybody kind of missed a game or two in that secondary except for him and. You know, obviously the defensive linemen don't play that much, and the linebackers, you know, not not as much either. And I think Kyle Fuller was pretty close and played most of the games, but Jackson was on the field for, I think, all but three snaps. Yeah, all but three snaps last year. Ninety nine point seven or ninety nine point seven percent of the total snaps. I, I don't, you know, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know how to necessarily translate what happened in college, but it, that was the red flag about Eddie Jackson, and I think his play kind of matched up to some of the talent that we saw at Alabama, but let's see how long he can put it together and, and try and avoid that sophomore slump. And, you know, how much of that will be a result of the rest of the defense that if, you know, if the pass rush is playing well and they're stopping the run in the front seven, it'll be a lot easier for Eddie Jackson to roam that middle of the field and be more of the ball hawking free safety. But, you know, if the combination of Aaron Lynch, Leonard Floyd, and Sam Ajo, perhaps unsurprisingly, doesn't generate a consistent enough pass rush on the edge, you know, based on what we know, that can put everybody in the secondary, and the same goes for Kyle Fuller. That you know these guys that had big years last year, how much of that was from a front seven playing particularly well despite some of the injuries there, and and how much of that was them being able to take advantage of opportunities? Just curious to see how to, how the rest of the defense affects the secondary this year. Yeah, it's very much a chicken and the egg kind of thing with the uh, yeah. with the defense. You know, is the secondary good because the pass rush is uh, you know making so they don't have to hold a receiver. For six seconds, or is the def- is the front seven good because the secondary is you know is is doing their job in, in coverage? It really is kind of a chicken and the egg thing uh, there. And you mentioned uh, Aaron Lynch was one the one pass rusher that we signed uh, over the offseason. The defense was more about subtraction than it was addition uh, this year, especially in that area that's been such a concern for us uh, over the years. Um, 
you know, Pernell McPhee is gone. Uh, Willie Young is gone. It's, uh, <laughs> I wasn't happy about Willie Young being let go, to be honest with you. Uh, we let Christian Jones go to the Lions, which I was not a big fan of. Mitch Unrine is in Tampa Bay now. Uh, Jarrell Freeman, um, God bless him, man. He's, you know, his concussion issues, but the guy would have, would still be serving a suspension if the Bears brought him back uh, this year. Instead, he opts to go ahead uh, and retire, and I think he would have been was he on on pace for being banned for life? Didn't he fail another test? Yeah, I don't remember for sure if that's a ban for life or just like another full season or two seasons. But yeah, he was another one was looming when he when he was when he retired. Right. So I mean, it's just but you know the defense has been more about subtraction. Uh, you know, especially in that front seven with Freeman and and McPhee and uh, Willie Young being let go, Mitch Unrein goes and everything else. So we're we're kind of looking at. Um, you know, setting expectations for guys like Roy Robertson Harris and, and Jonathan Bullard that, okay, it's it's time. You've had your couple years, you know, rotating in and, and learning behind veteran guys like Unrine. Now it's time for you to answer the bell and go out there and do the job. And it's time for Leonard Floyd to play 16 games. Yes. And really perform like a top 10 pick at the edge rusher position. That year three now, okay, you know, year one, a lot of good flashes, seven sacks that year, and you're like, okay. The pieces are there. Last year hurt even more, and, and a lot of those kind of lingering things that didn't even necessarily keep him out of games but just kept him from performing up to his level. Now it's year three, three years in the same defense. The The veterans are gone, and it's your turn, and you are the top ten pick. I mean, double-digit sacks should be what you expect from this type of a investment in this player at this point in his career, and we'll, we'll see if he can do it. You know, that's that's a very big question mark for me. Yeah, and, and very much could uh, be the key to the entire defense uh, as well. Can Floyd and, uh, and, and Lynch, who are penciled in as the starters right now, can they be that, that bookend pass rush? Can Aaron Lynch revive his career uh, to have the year in, 20, in 2018 that he had the one year that he was under Fangio in San Francisco in 2014 where he was you know, an outstanding player? Can he answer the bell? Once again, you know, can Bullard and 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 Roy Robertson Harris, you know, be the the solid, you know, run stopping, you know, force that that Mitch Unrein uh, could be. Not a sexy guy as far as pass rush is concerned, but Mitch Unrein was always in the mix there when when it came to to stopping the run. And and how will that help out guys like Eddie Goldman and Keem Hicks and uh, and everyone else there uh, on that front seven? It's it's going to be an important question the bears did essentially nothing with the pass rush position was reviewed as one of their weaknesses going in kind of sticking with the guys they got and adding in you know a a one-year prove-it deal guy with aaron lynch and you know i I don't want to totally overlook the sixth round pick kylie fitz just yet and i know we haven't gotten all the way to the draft but yeah I, i i'm under the impression that actually sam Acho is penciled in to start right now and that they want lynch to at least initially be the rotational guy hmm. until he can kind of prove himself a little bit more but i i think you're going to see a team more reliant on an interior pass rush this year and years past that i think it puts more pressure on akeem hicks to produce in there puts more pressure on roy robertson harris to kind of step up and, and be more of that pass rushing defensive lineman than than the run stuffer that goldman and, and bullard might be in and goldman has been able to get after the quarterback in the past but He's never usually the finisher. He's more kind of the the pen, the you know pushing the and collapsing the pocket a little bit to make everyone else's jobs easier. But you know, I'm curious if we'll see Roquan Smith blitz more and you know Nick Kwiatkowski get in on some blitz packages because he showed a pretty good ability to get after the quarterback. And like they list Jonathan Anderson 
as an outside linebacker on their official roster now. So is he going to be used in, in as a rotational type pass rusher? And we saw those, you know, the dime packages where Sherrick McManus would come on the field basically just to blitz like three plays a game. You know, is is Vic Fangio going to have to get more creative to to get pressure on the quarterback? And then is that then going to take away from potential other areas in the defense? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where I I remember the, those those awesome San Francisco defenses. The words that I would use for that defense would be aggressive. Like they did blitz a lot more often than the Bears have in the times that Fangio has been out there. And maybe it's because he's been waiting for the personnel to come along that he trusts enough to do that. And, you know, building up uh, the a secondary that he can trust to go out there and blitz on a more uh, on a more regular. Uh, basis, but I could definitely see something like that, and maybe if that is what the Bears are thinking about doing. Because, and also, it didn't really help that this year wasn't exactly a hotbed for pass rushers in the draft. It was Bradley Chubb, and then maybe in Harold Landry, and then depending on who you're talking about, maybe a Marcus Davenport. But then you go off a cliff after that, as far as you know who the second tier of pass rushers would be. So it really wasn't there in free agency or the draft to add much to the pass rushing uh, area. Uh, for the Bears, so maybe for this year at least, they're going to be looking to, to to maybe get it more aggressive or, as you say, creative with blitz packages and how they're rushing the quarterback to put that pressure on him. And again, I guess it circles back to why were they in such a hurry to move on from Willie Young, Pernell McPhee, and even like Lamar Houston, who yeah. has certainly bounced around yeah. but was able to get to the quarterback pretty consistently when he was healthy and on the field. Yeah, no, you're right, and 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 you know, so maybe it's, the strategy has changed instead of just doing it off the edge uh, with with Floyd and and uh, and uh, Lynch and uh, Stam Acho that uh, maybe we're going to attack the middle, which as you know is the shortest path to the quarterback is going is a straight line right up the middle of the field instead of having to make that big circle around the edges uh, around the tight ends and the tackles. Yeah, and and Roquan Smith, I think, is really going to be the interesting figure that. How how much do they get creative with him? Because you don't, you know, you love his skill set. He can do everything as a linebacker, and he's going to be one of the fastest players on the defense, regardless of size. But how much do you want to ask a rookie to do that? You know, you want to keep his plate kind of clean and and simple, and say, okay, here's your run key. Here's what you're supposed to do in coverage. If it's a pass play, here's what you do. If it's run play, don't. You know, you don't want to throw too much on his plate and say, you know, well, you know, if if the tight end moves here, then you're blitzing, and if the, there's three wide receivers to this side, then you need to get here and and try and you know do too much for him, despite his ability to be able to do so much. Right, and so I mean, let's talk about the draft. I mean, uh, draft night comes. There's a lot of questions about you know who's going to fall uh, to the Bears because of all the quarterbacks and the trades that were expected, and who's moving up, who's moving down, and because. It's a, a quarterback-heavy draft and a lot of quarterback-needy teams out there. The Bears that's sitting at eight were in a prime position to get someone who could very well be a top three, top five talent because the quarterbacks are going to push those people down the board. Uh, you know, People are going to be desperate to make moves and get up in the draft to, to get their guy. And I think on the top of your wish list and mine was Quentin Nelson to solidify that offensive line. Unfortunately, he goes six to the Colts. And then the guy on the wish list after that for me was Roquan Smith. And there he is sitting at eight and the Bears went ahead and pulled the trigger on him. Yeah, that was a pick I was totally on board with. You know, I, I would have been fine with the Quentin Nelson, too. But I like I, I like the ability to kind of add a player there that has I think he, he kind of, you know, you try and serve two masters here with like. 
you know, you take the player with the high ceiling that might not be able to, or you might not have the floor and you're taking a lot of risk with, or do you take the guy with the high floor that might not ever be a top 10 player at his position, but will always be a top 20 player at his position. And right. Roquan Smith was one of the few players in this draft that really can kind of do both. That you, you saw at Georgia a player that's already refined in his technique, but he has the athletic tools and you know the, the, the smarts and the, the football IQ to be a potential top player at his position in the NFL with the right amount of development, but you're not concerned that he's going to flame out and not get you anything. Right. I mean, this is kind of the, an anti-Ryan Pace choice, at least with his first round picks. He's always picking that guy that has the high ceiling, that has more potential than than he's proven to have in, in his uh, college uh, career. So that's why a lot of people were thinking that maybe Tremaine Edwards would be the, or Edmonds would be the pick uh, for the Bears instead of Smith. And instead, in my opinion, they make the smarter choice and go with the more uh, polished, more refined uh, product in uh, in in Roquan Smith. So I was very excited when they when they actually did it. Yeah, I wasn't a big Tremaine Edmonds guy either, and I think the draft maybe helped validate that feeling with with how far he fell. I mean, not that it was incredible, but I think the Bills felt pretty fortunate to you know get him towards the middle of the first round there, and then. You know, there, there was kind of that late hype for Marcus Davenport right before the draft, and I think that one is another Ryan Pace-type prospect with a high ceiling, and right. I was pretty glad the Bears didn't end up making that move, and I'm still stunned that the Saints traded a future first-round pick yeah. to trade up and get him and not a quarterback, and Lamar Jackson was sitting right there. Yeah. They traded a future first, and I'm like, oh, man, Lamar Jackson to the Saints, that's a great pick, and then it's Marcus Davenport, and I was just mind-blown. Yeah, every, I think everybody was kind of blown away because like you said they paid quarterback prices and got a defensive end instead I mean he's going to have to be one of the all-time greats for that to even you know translate as as a fair deal yeah if he's not putting up 10 sacks by year three like we're talking about Leonard Floyd yeah you're that's it is maybe maybe that's where Ryan Pace gets his head scratchers from you know one a year that from that New Orleans the New Orleans Saints system that he he must have learned that from Mickey Loomis (laughs) So we go to day two uh, in the draft, and I'm excited as a Bears fan because, as my my draft expert Scott Wright said, going into the draft, you're going to be able to find first-round talent as late as the 50s in the second round because these quarterbacks are pushing guys down the board, and then other teams are going with with need or you know or what have you. There's going to be first round available talent in the second round. So here the Bears are sitting at 39. A guy like Will Hernandez survived the first round. Um, there were like Christian Kirk, you know, wide receivers and stuff. The guys that made it into the second round, and the guy that we ended up taking at 39 was who many big. Pe- People, that's the word I was trying to say, people consider to be the best interior lineman in the draft, the top center in the draft, and James Daniels, even though he was, what, the third or fourth center taken in the, in the draft overall, we get him at 39. Yeah, and that was you know, that was a pick that I was getting a little nervous about because, you know, Frank Ragno goes in the first round, and uh, another, in, another Billy Price, Billy I think, Price, yeah. went in the first round, and I'm like, okay, Still have Will Hernandez, still have, you know, I think Braden Smith and a couple of these guys. And they all start to come off the board in those first seven picks of the the first six picks of that second round. I'm like, oh, man, the Bears need to land a starting interior offensive lineman in this draft that I'm not confident enough in Eric Cush or Hronis Grasso to really solidify up front and, and prioritize protecting your quarterback. But, yeah, big fan of the James Daniels pick. He's a good fit for the system. That versatility is helpful, and I didn't have a problem with that. But but 
I, my head was scratching a little bit, I'm going to be honest, when they made the trade up for Anthony Miller there. That that surprised me quite a bit, giving up a, was it a future fourth round pick to to, to move second, up into the second round? Second second round pick, 2019. Second oh, yeah, round. yeah, future second round pick. Yeah. And your current fourth round pick to go up to, yeah, that one was, uh, I, I understand it, but I, I guess in the draft, I didn't feel like Anthony Miller was that special of a player that you you forego next year's second round pick to make another one this year well i mean he's certainly talking himself up to be that's for sure uh i like the kid's swagger uh i like his attitude it, it comes off more as confident so much as as arrogant i can't stand arrogant people uh there's just something about the vibe that they put out you know he he seems more like a confident kid than an arrogant one and and someone who you know you're rooting for uh as opposed to you know, like being just some dickhead who can't stop talking kind of thing. Uh, yeah. You know, I really appreciate what he's trying to do. And, and, and you know, I appreciate his uh, confidence. And he's going to need to make good on that for this. You know, again, like talking about the Marcus Davenport deal, he's going to have to bring in the numbers that he says he's going to in order for it to be worth the Bears giving up a, a very important pick in next year's draft to get him. Yeah. And that's what I come back to, like. I mean, essentially, they gave up a fourth-round pick. They, they, instead of using their second-round pick next year, they decided to use it this year and cash it in now. And as a result, they gave up a fourth-round pick to do so. And I guess I kind of felt like, okay, based on the wide receivers that were still there in the draft, how much better is Anthony Miller than a wide receiver you might be able to get with that fourth-round pick and then still have your second-round pick next year to add another high-quality player that— you know, I think Anthony Miller is a good wide receiver, and I'm I'm sure he'll probably play at a pretty decent level in Chicago. But you know, is it? And I, I, you know, not even having the hindsight of looking at who would last all the way to the fourth round, but was it? You know, were there better opportunities to maybe trade up into the third round and and get someone not Anthony Miller, but not have to give up all of this future capital? I know, like you know, Kiki Kuti lasted till the fourth round with the Texans, and Antonio Callaway to the Browns, and Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State guy I really liked at the senior bowl he lasted till 113 in the fourth round of the broncos i mean i obviously pace didn't know that all these guys would drop but did you have to move all the way up to the second round and forego next year's second round pick and your fourth round pick to get this guy that is this guy truly that much more special than all the other wide receivers on the board i i didn't necessarily think so at the time and i'm i'm willing to let him prove me wrong well, I mean, if the, the the thing that's been most curious, and it was something I talked about um, uh, on uh, the beginning of my Detroit uh, episode, was that you know when when talking about the the video that I saw about Trubisky and Kevin White working out together, every move that the Bears made, and this was something you and I talked about at the end of the season last year, was that the Bears should conduct themselves as if Kevin White is not on this football team, or that you know he's not going to be a factor, and that's exactly what happened. Every one of these moves, train, you know, signing Robinson and Gabriel, uh, going out and getting Trey Burton, who we're going to k- expect to catch passes more than be a blocker and things like that, trading up, giving up next year's draft choice to get Anthony Miller now uh, and things like that. F- you know, like all of these guys right now are essentially ahead of Kevin White on the depth chart right now. And that's still a, a bullet that we have in the chamber if Kevin White shows up to play football this year. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not ready to put Kevin White even on the 53 man roster right now. I mean, sure, I know sure. his salary this year is fully guaranteed, so they would save zero dollars from releasing him. But if you're looking at just composing your 
theoretically six wide receivers on this team. I mean, obviously it's Robinson, Gabriel, and Miller as the top three. And you'd like your other three guys to all contribute on special teams, at least to somewhat varying degrees. So, so that puts Bellamy in there. Yeah, Bellamy or Fowler. I don't know if they both have a spot or if they're competing for one. And, you know, maybe you want to keep a younger wide receiver with some upside, like their seventh round pick, Javon Wims, or, right. you know, if Tanner Gentry can kind of keep playing. I mean, they've got a couple names like that. But, you know, does Kevin White offer you enough offensively to stick as your fourth wide receiver? Does he start contributing on special teams for the first time and, and stick around as a potential fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver there? I mean, I, I, I would think that they could try and get some sort of like conditional seventh round pick trade value for him if they were going to release him anyway that another team wouldn't mind getting a head start on Kevin White before he becomes a free agent this year just to see what kind of value he could still bring. But yeah, this is this was definitely an offseason trying to overlook and ignore Kevin White, not not rely on him and, you know, still has the opportunity to compete. And if he really just like comes to training camp and it just starts clicking and, you know, he could have a, a very strong role in this offense and be their number three, number four wide receiver and push Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel for playing time. Sure. But if we're if we're putting money down on this, I'm not sure I'm putting him on the 53. Right. I mean, and and, and, and to credit to, to Nagy and everything, he's talking about like he's expecting things. Uh, from Kevin White. He hasn't written him off yet, but management is definitely proceeding as though we have moved on uh, from Kevin White, or at the very least, we're prepared if it's time to move on from Kevin White at this point. Yeah, which is only the smart move, and I think they're they're handling it, you know, from as, for, as far as outside expectations, well, that the last three off-seasons, there have been a lot of Kevin White stories, you know yeah. what I mean? like that. But now, you know, I think early on the wide receivers coach said, no expectations this year for him. You know, he's just another player at camp, and he's going to produce. And it, it seems like John Fox struggled at, I don't want to say controlling the media, but at least controlling the tone and sort of the the expectations that I think John Fox wasn't as good at, at kind of selling his team and, and putting things out the right way to, to make things sound and, and feel right. But I think Matt Nagy's been better at that, and his assistant coaches have been better at that, at, you know— um, maximizing the strengths and the positives about the team and not letting a lot of the, the question marks and the weaknesses linger. And and I think Kevin White's been a big part of sort of this brushing him under the under the rug a little bit here sure. for his own benefit. Yeah. So moving on to the second part of the – or day three of the draft, I should say. Um, we had four picks in the, in the last day of the draft. Um, guys that are – you know, Javon Wims – was the leading receiver for Georgia last year, so he was at least productive in the last season of his uh, career. Uh, Joel, or Yoel, Iwe Buniwe, and I had to look that up to figure out how to pronounce that, by the way, um, you know, was a stud at Western Kentucky, but a smaller school guy, um, you know, built like a tank. I just saw the video of him. He's in fantastic shape. Um, slid somewhere to the fourth round uh, to the Bears. Uh, Kylie Fitz. Is, is a guy that's been talked about as he can be an amazing steal for the Bears, if not for his horrible injury history at Utah. The one guy that I don't know anything about was our fifth-round pick in Bilal Nichols, the defensive end that we decided to take from Delaware in the fifth round. Yeah, I was right there with you. And I don't know about you, but like when that Joel E.A. Buniway pick came off the board, can't believe I said it that fast correctly, when that <laughs> pick came off the board, I was really scratching my head there that of of all of the positions that you're going to take with that fourth round pick it's like the ones that you're for sure not going to take are quarterback and inside linebacker because you're not taking a quarterback there 
and you just took an inside linebacker with your first round pick and to take another one and I know he's played some outside linebacker in the past but it sounds like they want to keep him at the inside linebacker spot especially with Nick Kwiatkowski already in the fold I mean that pick was the most head scratching of any of them in this draft for me that there were other pretty talented players on the board and I know I don't think Ryan Pace likes to pick based on need and this was his best player available and it was a player he specifically gushed about and you know, he was kind of selling everybody else on, and I guess a general manager is allowed that freedom and that, that creative freedom to make that choice perhaps ahead of other opinions in the room. But, I mean, you had other needs on the roster. There might have been a, a perhaps a pass rusher on the board that maybe you weren't in love with, but, you know, I, I don't like – I don't want don't to suggest, you know, just reaching for a need, but a lot of other positions on this team – that could have much more used a fourth round pick than inside linebacker. Right. You know, and then um, it just seemed like, um, you know, the, the, I don't really know what the bears were doing with, with the day three uh, picks. I mean, I guess it really was just pace taking the best player uh, off the board. The, the Blau Nichols pick in, in from the fifth round in, in Delaware is that's a one double a guy, you know, the very little film that, that most people in, in my position get their hands on. So didn't really know much of anything about him. The Cali Fitz thing made sense, um, you know, with him. You know, it's day three. It's late in the draft. You're taking potential guys at this point, And everyone talks about what a special guy he could be if he could stay healthy. He could have been maybe a, a day one, day two pick if he had stayed healthy throughout his career. And then Javon Wims, another SEC uh, wide receiver who's got good size and and uh, you know good hands, but fell to the basically the bottom of the the draft. The Bears take a flyer on him uh, in the in the seventh round. Maybe he can be a special teams guy. Maybe he can challenge for the you know number five wide receiver uh, spot. But it basically looked like the draft ended after the second round for the Bears as far as like guys who are going to see on the field this year. Now I made a similar call to that last year. We ended up having contribution from everybody we drafted except for the one guy we put on IR uh, last year. So it shows what I know, but that's what I'm seeing going into this thing. Yeah, it felt like that day three was a lot of you know more ceiling picks like you thought, except except for. I guess I'm I'm not sure what to expect from J- Javon Wims that mm-hmm. you know bigger wide receivers that like him that don't have particularly impressive speed and and other physical traits you know he he was a guy that didn't I think didn't separate that well from coverage in college and I think he's going to struggle to separate like that in the NFL but you know there's certainly potential there for him to improve in that area and I I didn't know much about Bilal Nichols either but at least that and then Fitz felt like potential steals and, and, and high ceiling players right r- relatively at positions of need and you know you can it's much easier to kind of sit with the okay well I don't really know who this guy is but at least if he's got some talent it's coming at a, at a good spot and you can kind of you know it's not just piling on another linebacker into the group that already has plenty of linebackers I keep coming back to that right <laughs> because we have Trevathan we have you know we drafted Roquan Smith we got a solid backup in Kwiatkowski um you know the the draft of you know EA Buniwe or Iggy as he will be called I think that will be helpful for all of us going forward but um you know to put him into the mix you know that definitely had to be a best player available thing for Pace because it certainly wasn't a need at that point in the draft Danny Trevathan and Nick Kwiatkowski have two more years each on right. their contracts that, like, that too that too it's like it's not something that we're going to be able to part ways with after this year yeah like I it, like, it feels like Kwiatkowski is kind of in line to potentially take over for Danny Trevathan. So then where does 
you know, does EA Booneyway then kind of take that spot? And then what happens with Kwiatkowski, who still looked like a talented inside linebacker? I mean, I understand acquiring best player available, and you would rather have too many good players at one position than not enough good players at one position. But uh, unless unless Joel plays some outside linebacker and can do, uh, you know, be a little bit more of a Christian Jones type versatile guy, it's a little bit easier for me to sit with there. But yeah, still still waiting and seeing on that one. So we move on to the schedule. Uh, and it's uh, it's an interesting schedule uh, for the Bears. I go back and forth on our bye week. Um, we got the early bye week, week five, and and initially I thought it was I, I you know I liked it. It's uh you know we we get a chance to sit back and assess. We got four interesting games to start off the year. We're at Green Bay on Sunday night football to kick things off. Uh, where our first home game is a Monday night game against Seattle. Then we're at Arizona, home for Tampa Bay. So there's some winnable football games in there, talking about the Arizona-Tampa Bay games at least, um, you know, to start things off. And then we get a break to kind of take a look at the first quarter of the season, see what's working, who's, who's, you know, who works best in this spot. And then at the same time, it's like, Christ, man, a week five bye, that's really early in the season. Yeah, like if you could, I think if you could kind of handcraft the spare schedule, if the games are still in the same order, like I'd probably put it after that Bills game. You know, you get through that AFC East stretch and then yeah. bye week and then your three division games in a row, the, the Lions, Vikings, Lions, back to back to back. That's probably where I would put it. But I, I think in terms of the schedule, I mean, the bye week, I, I guess I look at it like you kind of do, where it, it only matters to me kind of what games are around it, you know, and then mm-hmm. it's nice having. Seattle, Arizona, Tampa Bay as three, you know, fringe-ish teams competing for a playoff spot but all have a lot of question marks kind of based on what we've seen in previous years. And at least two of those are winnable and obviously the Packers week one. And I don't mind the early bye week as much because I feel like preseason, if you kind of include preseason from beforehand just because there won't be a lot of time in between preseason games, especially after the Hall of Fame game and stuff. The bye week kind of, if you if you include those four as part of the schedule, it, it centers the bye week a little bit more, just right. in the sense that they won't have a week off, and they won't have had a week off until that bye week from the beginning of the preseason until then. So at least in that sense, there's there's some semblance of like, you know, you, you get the four preseason games to kind of get the whole team functioning together, and then four regular season games to see how it all plays out and, and how it really looks when they take the, you know, take the leash off and, and let it loose, and then then you can kind of recalibrate after week five and, and gear up for the, you know, what is it, 10 games to finish out there, 11 games to 12. push through the rest of the season. 12 games, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah 12, we, well, got that, we got that interesting... <laughs> yeah, we got that interesting stretch there after the bye week where really we play the entire AFC East back-to-back-to-back uh, to, back to back there uh, at Miami, home for the, the Patriots and the Jets before finishing off at the road or on the road at Buffalo. And then... Like you said, you mentioned it just a moment ago. We got three division games in eleven days because that first game is November eleventh against Detroit, ending eleven days later on Thanksgiving at Detroit with Minnesota in Chicago, uh, right there uh, in the middle. That's going to be an important stretch after essentially four meaningless games as far as like playoff position is concerned against the AFC East. Those AFC games don't really factor into. You know, obviously for the wins and losses they do, but you know, as far as conference schedule and things like that, those tiebreak there'll be four games that don't contribute to the tiebreaker when it comes to it, and then you're coming right out of the gates there with three back-to-back division games inside of a very short period of time. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the point in the season where you'll, I guess, you'll truly know for sure 
whether or not this Bears team can actually push for a playoff spot and really kind of defy expectations this year. You know, I think, you know, week one at Green Bay is probably going to be a pretty tough game for Matt Nagy to open up with. And then, you know, Seattle, Arizona, and Tampa Bay, depending on how the, you know, the Bears win two of those three, you could say, okay, this team is competing with the other fringe teams. And then that, that's a good sign, but it's not, you know, beating the, the Cardinals and Buccaneers doesn't say you're a playoff team just yet. Then it's the bye week. Then the AFC East, I mean, Miami, New York, and Buffalo are also a high question mark team, and you're probably not going to compete much with the Patriots. So none of those four games, I think, are really going to tell you a ton about this Bears team, but the Lions twice and that Vikings once. You know, the Lions are right here sort of competing with the Bears in this third spot in the division behind the Packers and Vikings. Two games against them, how those games go, I think, will tell me for sure whether this Bears team can push for a playoff spot or not. Right, and then we wrap up. We're at the Giants, and who knows how improved they will be uh, this year. New coach and Saquon Barkley, the best player in the draft, and some people's opinions. Um, he's sticking with Eli Manning and not getting the quarterback there at number two. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting move uh, for them. And then the last four games, we got the Rams and the Packers at home, and then we're on the road at San Francisco and for the third year in a row at Minnesota to finish out the year. And that's... I mean, that's really a, a brutal stretch when you talk it about really making is. a playoff push yeah. down the line. I mean, those last four games are four teams that are right now better than the Chicago Bears. I mean, just based on what we know about this roster and the and the other four rosters, I mean, if this is a team that's, you know, what, six and six or whatever after 12 games and they're heading into this stretch, or I guess after the, the 12th game would be, yeah, six and six with these four games left, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Chances are pretty good that you don't win two of those games. That, that you know, maybe you don't win three. Maybe you pull off one, but that that could be kind of the the make or break the make or break stretch. And you, if you're if you're going to be a playoff team, which I'm not necessarily expecting, you want to finish strong and kind of have some momentum going to the playoffs. And even if the Bears somehow find their way in there and really dominate the early portion of their schedule, I mean. That is not the way you want to end the regular season. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying when the when schedule first came out in April was that last, the last four games, I was like, man, this is a very important stretch of the season, period. And it's going to be a very important stretch for essentially all four teams that were playing in that area. I mean, we're playing the Packers, we're playing the Vikings again, we're playing the Rams and the 49ers uh, in there. If the 49ers are the team that the upward trajectory suggests that they were at the end of last year, they're going to be gunning for a spot, so that's an important game for them. Same thing for the Rams, who very well could be playing for the number one seed in the NFC at that point in the year. And then, of course, Green Bay and Minnesota, they're probably going to be competing with each other for the top spot uh, in the division this year. That, Like you said, if, if we're a 500 football team going into that last four games, of the season, we're going to have to win at least three of those games to be a contender uh, for the one of the wild card spots uh, this year. That's a hell of a gauntlet to have to run in order to make it happen. Yeah, and maybe you can feel like okay, if if it's week seventeen against Minnesota and, and they're the best team in the NFC North and maybe the best team in the NFC, maybe they they already have their first round bye locked in and they they don't start Kirk Cousins that game and you can steal that week seventeen divisional game maybe and maybe the Forty ers don't quite live up to the hype kind of like what we're looking at with the Bears as far as teams with a high trajectory but still a little bit unproven so you have a shot there and anything can happen against the Green Bay Packers at home I guess but not not something if I was a betting man that I would bet too much on the Bears down that stretch right so I mean 
I mean, I've, I've heard you say it a thousand times on your show. I don't like to do it at this point in the year as well. But, you know, when you think about wins and losses, what what's the ballpark for you this year? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm kind of in the six, seven, eight range. And mm-hmm. then maybe nine if, if things start to go well and maybe if Detroit takes a step back a little bit and, you know, San Francisco isn't as great and, and maybe Green Bay isn't as rock solid as they've been in years past, then I could see pushing nine. But I, I'm I'm kind of feeling a, a six, seven and maybe an eight win season if, if things really go right. I think I'm in, I'm in more of the seven eight range, um, myself uh, actually. I mean, I think that um, the first eight games, I probably think we'll win more games there than we will in the last eight. Um, you know, with uh, with you know three out of the four teams in the AFC East, I like our chances against Arizona, Tampa Bay, um, Seattle. I think we could steal one early on in the year from them on Monday Night Football. That first game of the year against Green Bay. I go back and forth on that one. You know, I think that on one end, the NFL has set the Bears up to get their asses kicked on national television. Uh, on you know <laughs> again. once again in Green Bay against the the Packers, and and at the same time, it also feels like they've set the Packers up to be embarrassed on an important night, like they did for Thanksgiving night in the in year one of the John Fox era, where it was national TV Thanksgiving. Brett Favre jersey retirement night when that game came out I'm like there's no way in hell the Bears win that game there is just no way I mean everything says the Bears are going to get murdered that night we go ahead and we win it this is day one of year 100 of Packer football they requested the Bears for this game you know could that be their death knell as far as that like I said I go back and forth on it could it be Brett Brett Favre jersey retirement night all over again or could it be um, year two of Mark Tressman, fifty-five to or fifty-six to seven or whatever that game ended up uh, being, where where uh, Rogers throws six touchdown passes in the first quarter uh, or the first half of the uh, the game. So I go back and forth on that uh, on on week one, but the the seven games after that, I think we're in all of those games except maybe uh, the New England game. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I, I have this feeling that the Bears are going to be a team that wins one or two games that they're not supposed to. And loses one or two games that they're not supposed to. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Maybe maybe they upset the Patriots there in Week Seven and then lose to the Giants in Week Thirteen or <laughs> you know something something kind of random like that where sure. you know they're not they're not going to get blown out by the Cleveland Browns and they're not going to topple the the Philadelphia Eagles by you know something super crazy like that. But you know it just feels like Nagy's going to pull something out from one of these games that that is enough to to flip the the favor into the Bears and and win a game that most people were predicting they wouldn't and. Maybe they play Buffalo in Week Nine, and Josh Allen makes his debut and makes me and a lot of people look silly by tearing it up and and just kind of throwing something at the Bears they weren't able to prepare for, and the Bears lose that game despite a lot of people thinking that they might. You know, I think there's just going to be every year in the Bears schedule. There's always something weird that happens. There's weird games. There's you know the Saints game last year, the Brett Hundley game with the second game against the Packers Ugh. last year, or the Carolina and in, in, in their favor, the Carolina Panthers game. Yeah, not a game I don't think a lot of people were expecting the Bears to. I mean. Maybe some people thought they could win, but not the, certainly not in the fashion that they did. And yeah, they John, dominated John Fox would just yeah. pull those out, you know, out of nowhere. And I, I feel like we're just going to see a game or two this year that's just a little bit different and and not quite go exactly how you expect. Right. Yeah. In 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 both positive and negative ways yeah. too. So I mean, it's it's very it's very bear like for something that for something like that to happen for us to have, you know, for Trubisky to outgun Tom Brady week seven. And then week eight, come out and craft the bed against the Jets or whatever it is. You know that that would be something crazy that could happen. And then that back-to-back home stretch, we got New England and uh, and the Jets for us to come out and lay a turd against the Jets 
but dominate the Patriots the week before. That hangover of the win against the best team in football to get smacked around by a team that one of the few teams that was worse than us in 2017 uh, would probably be uh, poetic as far as you know how the Bears tend to to carry themselves from from year to year. So. Well, here's one for you. How about, sure. how about this? They they lose to Detroit, then beat Minnesota, and then lose to Detroit again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd probably be, you know, that would, yeah, probably. I, I could see that happening, sure. Um, to beat the Vikings like we always do at home and then lose again and on the road against the, the Lions on Thanksgiving, that would, that would make for a crappy Thanksgiving, bro. Hopefully that doesn't happen. So, but um, to wrap things up here, just want to talk about the division uh, as a whole. We touched briefly on it. As we kind of gone through things, we talked about it a bit before we started recording was that, you know, the Bears are kind of being looked upon because of the moves they've made practically mirrored everything that the Rams did a year ago uh, at this time. They bring in the young head coach, the offensive minded guy. They they keep slash bring in a, a defensive guy that will help solidify the talent that's already there. Uh, they bring in a bunch of offensive weapons that they didn't have the year before to support that second year quarterback. And they're off to the races. They go ahead and boom, boom, boom. You know, they go from like four wins to 11. They make the playoffs. And, you know, they've taken the next step. And everyone's expecting to make another one this year. I mean, I've seen publications that have the Rams winning the Super Bowl uh, this year. And But the thing is, the difference being the NFC West is not the NFC North. It's a very deep division. And I've said the past couple of weeks talking to our other NFC brethren uh, previewing those teams, I think the NFC North could make a claim for the best division in football this year. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest obstacles to the Bears' successes. You know, the Vikings, obviously the the top, well, I mean, right now, the top team in the division, a, a potential Super Bowl favorite from the NFC, definitely not a team the Bears are on the same level with right now. The Packers with a healthy Aaron Rodgers are always a full step ahead there. And the Lions were almost a playoff team last year, second in the division. And they they get the same kind of new head coach confidence now that they're trying to take that next step. They, you know, redoing their defense with Matt Patricia coming from a Super Bowl winning coaching staff. I know there's the, the, the Patriots coaches have kind of a history of not necessarily having a ton of success right. when they take on head coaching jobs. But, yeah, you talk about that Rams team and I look back at, at their success last year. And I think they're only they, – they lost two games within the division, one to the 49ers at the end of the year, uh, the very last game, and then one with the Seattle Seahawks early on. But, right. you know, beat the 49ers once and the Seahawks once and, and beat the Cardinals twice. I mean, they they had a, an easier go about it for six games out of the year, and the Bears will really I'm, – I'm, I don't feel necessarily confident right now picking the Bears over any of the other divisional teams in a game based purely just on talent, but – you know, I would guess that the Bears probably get one from Detroit just because that's how that works. But, you know, right now, without having played games, I, I don't feel confident in the Bears winning against the Packers or the Vikings in any of their games. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the, one of those things where when it comes to the Bears and the Packers, you know, as much as I hate to do it, I got to pick the Packers until the Bears actually start doing it on a consistent basis. Now, they don't have to, to, to sweep the Packers every single year before I start picking the Bears to win those games but we have to compete with green bay and that's one of those things that we have especially in the last few years we have not been competing with the packers when we've been when we've been playing them the games have always been very one-sided uh for the most part and with the vikings there's always been that weird home and home thing but the vikings closed the gap on that last year winning in chicago for the first time in a few years uh and everything so it's one of those things where yeah you you 
you you know you keep reading the magazines and the previews and stuff and the bears are in fourth place in every single one that I've looked at and that's frustrating but at the same time the Vikings and the Packers are clearly better and then it's the 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 Lions were a better team than the Bears last year so you got to go ahead and put them ahead of us right now as well so there's no other place to put the Bears right now and it's up to them to to flip the script on that and to finish in a different spot than they've been in for the last four years. Well, and part of that too is that even if the Bears finish fourth in the NFC North, they could still be eight and eight. And, right. You know, this could be a That's division right. where the third place Lions don't make the playoffs at nine and seven, and that would be a successful season. I mean, for Matt Nagy, I don't think playoffs. It's not. It's not a playoffs or bust year for him by any by any stretch. You know, this right. is a yeah. look look like a better team, compete with the best team, you know, start to compete with the better teams in the NFL and bring your quarterback along and make, you know, can make him continue to take the steps towards really being the, you know, the franchise quarterback and the savior and the, the player to lead you to the playoffs, you know, 2019 next year, you know, the year one, you know, as much as we, people can get caught up with the Rams and, and then going 11 and five in the first year with, with that, I think the division thing you were saying is, is absolutely a, a huge factor in that. And, you know, a fourth place finish isn't going to be the end of the world for the Bears if they show improvement in every other area. Right, and I and I and I agree with that. You know, I'm 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 optimistic, and I think they can be the 2018 Rams. The potential is there. Um, if if all the pieces come together for us the same way it did for the Rams, you know, maybe none of those things work out. Maybe Kirk Cousins was the wrong move for Minnesota, and it hurts them on offense. The defense can't win all the games for them. You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers is, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to be Aaron Rodgers. So that's, you know, we got to worry about that. We've beaten him before, but can we do it again kind of thing? And then the Lions, they're the freaking Lions, man. They, they you know, they, they end up being bad more times <laughs> than they are. So maybe that won't work out. And the Bears will be second place by default, you know, kind of thing, because everything fell on, fell apart around them, kind of like it did for the Lions or the Rams last year. The NFC West kind of crumbled around them and they took advantage of that. Are we good enough to take advantage of it is the real question because so many times when we, we started off the show talking about 2017, so many times we were close and couldn't close the deal because we weren't good enough to take advantage of the situation. Are we good enough this year to take advantage of a team having a bad day or are we going to go out there and just make it worse? Well, and like you look around the NFL, how, how many teams do you think could be like a, a Los Angeles Rams type? How many teams in this league? could surprise you and really kind of take off this year. I mean, the Bears, the 49ers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the Chiefs made the playoffs last year, so they don't really count, and I, you know, I don't think the Raiders, maybe the Chargers. There's only a couple teams in this in the league right now that have this amount of potential. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think that's yeah. kind of the key thing that, you know, it's still going to be tough because, you know, your wild card teams right now might be the Falcons and the Packers if the Saints and Vikings win those divisions, and you're ultimately going to be competing with much more established teams rather than competing with other potential breakout teams but the bears have a good as good of a shot as anybody else to really catch fire this year and i think that's what makes this season more exciting than anything else right and i think we'll uh we'll end on a positive note there talking about hey it could happen and we're optimistic it could it definitely could and that's i think that's the important thing is like the last couple of years we haven't really been able to say that i mean we we said it 
but we we didn't really have much to support it. Like it could happen. It could. It's the NFL. Stranger things have happened. But this year we kind of have the ammunition to support the argument where we made these improvements here. The defense is 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 solid and you know has these guys and so on and so forth. It could happen. It's much more logical or reasonable for it to happen this year than it has in in years past. And based on the way Vegas odds are sitting right now, if you're placing bets on the Bears making the playoffs or winning the division, that's going to pay out some pretty good money. Yeah, so it surely sure. is. It definitely. <laughs> I think they said the Bears have the fifth worst option or fifth worst odds, I should say, to win the Super Bowl in the league uh, this year. I was like, I don't know how we fall that far down the board, but you know, it would be that would that's a bet that I'll take right there. I'll, I'll even take their that playoff bet. odds yeah. are near the bottom. Yeah. Somehow. I mean, near Brown's are. level. <laughs> God. Like, I, you know, I think like Buffalo and, and New York and Miami are way down there too. But, yeah, I mean, people are optimistic about the Browns. They're, they're a potential breakout team for some people. Sure. But, yeah. No, it's – the Bears are long shots from a, a betting standpoint that if you want to get your money in now, if you're confident enough in this team, this is the time to do it. Right. So – Lauren Cox, thanks so much uh, for coming back, man. Um, you know, list off your resume for us. Where can we find you? I am an analyst for Pro Football Focus. I'm the managing editor over at BearsWire.com, and I am the host of the Locked On Bears podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. That's C O X Sports and the number one. All right, and uh, thanks so much. Uh, you know, as always, uh, we'll find a way to get you back on. Uh, during the season, um, might have to have you on early with that early bye week, and uh, we'll assess the first quarter of the year as opposed to the first half of the season, which is what we've done with our week nine bye weeks the last couple of years. But uh, we'll have you then, and uh, have you we'll, we'll we'll talk about it and see how right we were at the end of the season about how 2018 would go for us. Yeah, we'll have to play back all this nonsense we just talked about here. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, first three games of the season. Those, you know, by then. The Seahawks will be 4-0 and it'll be a superpower team and the Packers will be terrible and we'll all be totally wrong. But no, it'll be fun. I always look forward to these conversations, you know. Bye week makes the bye week go faster a little bit. You Absolutely. Know, when, Absolutely. When your Sunday's kind of empty, they at least have this, you know. Right. Lauren Cox, thanks so much for, for coming back, man. We look forward to talking to you again real soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Always enjoy having Lauren on the show. Look forward to having him back. Uh, I guess it will be a, f- a first quarter report since our bye week is week five uh, this year. Uh, you know, I guess we're kind of spoiled the last few years. Our bye weeks was like week eight, week nine, so we could do more of a midseason uh, report. But the bye week is week five this year, so I guess we'll be doing an early season first quarter type report the next time we have uh, Lauren back on the uh, on the show. Um, I realize that some of you may have heard this this interview before uh because in my in my scatterbrain uh, the other day i uh <laughs> i posted everything that would lead you to believe that it was the the vikings episode a couple of days ago but instead i uploaded the interview of myself and, and lauren uh instead so uh, a few of you actually uh were, were letting me know it's like uh it's supposed to be the Vikings show but it's you and lauren talking about the bears so I had to take it down and then repost the show with uh, myself and Chris Gates talking about the Vikings. So some of you may have heard this interview already and, and, and you're tuning in to just hear what I have to say before and after the interview. So good for you if you did that and listen to it again. That's dedication. And I appreciate that. So, But there you have it, folks. 
1 through 14, we worked our way through our same place opponents, the AFC East, the NFC West, the NFC North, and finished things off with our beloved Chicago Bears. And, um, you know, now it's time to uh, take a step back, take a little bit of a break, let the preseason, or excuse me, let the like training camp uh, take hold, let them get in there and start banging around and see what happens, and then we'll get to that Hall of Fame game. And that will be the next time that you see me is when we review the Hall of Fame uh, game between the Bears and the Ravens. I might actually even wait until the weekend. Uh, maybe I'll do a review on Erlacher's induction speech uh, as well. Maybe I'll throw that in there uh, as a little bit of an extra uh, for that show. So maybe we'll wait and see. Or maybe I'll just do two. I'll do one for the game, then I'll do another one for Erlacher's induction speech. Who, who knows? But, uh, you know, one of our own is going into the into the Hall this year, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what he has to say. If they go in alphabetical order, I believe Erlacher's going to come up last. Uh, you know, his name, last name starting with the U and all. He's probably, I think he is alphabetically the last person going in this year. So if they do do it alphabetically, he's he's the main event. So, I mean, he'd be the main event for us anyway, but but there you have it. So um, anyway, that's when I will be back. Um, I know that you'll miss me, but I will return. Uh, you can always hit me up on Twitter at Shy Bears Review. Come to start a conversation on the, the Facebook page. Just search Chicago Bears Review face, on Facebook and you'll be able to uh, to find the show, join the discussion, and, uh, you know, everything else in between. And, uh, you know, enjoy the time off. Enjoy s- some news happening, you know, find training camp and all that kind of stuff. I hope the news that we're not sharing with each other from now until the beginning of the uh, Hall of Fame game has nothing to do with injuries. That would be really nice if we could finally break that streak of leading the league in injured reserve. That would be something that uh, I would enjoy. It's like if uh, not trying to not... Uh, keeping up with the body count that is the uh, the roster uh, of the Bears. So uh, hopefully that will not plague us again this year. That's actually something we didn't we didn't get around to talking about uh, uh, with myself and, and, and Lauren. We didn't really talk about, you know, all of these great things that we're expecting, you know, or hoping for and, and so on and so forth, that it, it all doesn't – it doesn't matter if, if we don't stay healthy. You know, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. So, I mean, we, we touched upon it briefly – Talking about if, if Trubisky goes down and Chase Daniel has to be our starter, then pretty much the season goes out the window or, or what we were hoping for and so on and so forth. So hopefully that doesn't happen and uh, we won't have to uh, figure out what to do uh, when it comes to that. But, um, you know, I, I just hope that we can stay relatively healthy as opposed to watching one to two starters go down a week until we've got, you know, double digit people on the injured reserve and these guys that we uh we're counting on to be special teamers are now our our everyday starters and guys that have to play 80 90 snaps a game or, or whatever it is so um so here's the good health and here's to our uh, beloved chicago bears having a good 2018 uh season so until the hall of fame game that's all it for me until then my name is larry d and this has been the chicago bears review